Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. And good day to you. This is Brad Zockel, and this is the Questions About Heaven podcast. I appreciate you coming along. If you are following these podcasts in sequence, then especially in the book of Revelation here, you're finding out that we are continuing in our talk in Revelation chapter 2. We're trying to go through Revelation verse by verse as just as detailed as possible and getting you a verse by verse explanation of this wonderful book. This is the book of Revelation. In the Greek, it is pronounced apocalypsis, and it carries a very, very powerful uh, background in a, in a history to it that helps us understand overall. Now, the author of this book is John. Now, you're going to see that as it's been labeled this and taught to you. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, this is from John, Revelation chapter 1 and 1, and then verse 4. Once again, it says this letter is from John to the seven churches to those in the province of Asia. Then in verse 9, one more time it says, I, John, I'm your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. You see, he's not saying, I'm over you, I am extra special. As a matter of fact, in that verse it says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos. Why? for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. This is John who is suffering in there in his late stages of life. Chapter 22 and verse 8 tells you once again, this is John. I, John, and the one who heard and saw all these things. And when you see this author going into the reality of our afterlife and the end times, you see a powerful, powerful narrative by this one. He'd been exiled to Patmos for preaching the gospel in Asia. And uh, when we take a look at this, we're looking at this being finished up. This is the last book of the Bible, the 66 books. And it is around, oh, I'd say about A.D. 92 to 93. Now, he's going to, in this passage, in chapter 1, he's identifying who Jesus is. This is the revealing of Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of all lords. And then we see that in chapters 2 and 3, he's writing a letter. See, this was which was and is and is to come. Which was, you did see who Jesus is right now. I gave you that description. Now, right now, I'm writing to these seven churches and then following that in chapter 4, which is what is to come. So right now we're talking, there are warnings and there are blessings given to seven churches. They are sort of in a mail route, uh, going around an area, sort of like a fish hook delivery system. And it goes Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So what we uh, had shown here is these messages are given specifically to them. And this is uh, a warning. Like, don't just read this as if it's a novel or a newspaper. Take heed. Chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 3. Uh, tell you this, that he is, uh, they take this warning very, very seriously. So what happens from chapter 4 to chapter 18 are these judgments going on on earth. It's called the tribulation. In the Greek, it's the flipsis. 
It's going to be a time of judgment. Those that remain on the earth after the rapture will make just face a terrible, terrible consequences for their non-belief, and they will have an opportunity to get uh, become a Christian, get saved, but they will pay dearly in their physical uh, being for doing so. These are in a series of different judgments. Uh, they are broken down into seven seals, judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl judgments. And all of this, you have these two numbers. Three, number of completeness, is a set of seven, and that's also the number of completeness as well. This is a complete judgment on this. Now, when you talk about this, this gives you the idea that, oh, it's all judgment. It's all apocalyptic, and it's all terrible, and, and, and it's, that's really what the whole point's about. No, not really. What this book is about is that Jesus wins that Christ, he has a triumph over Satan and the satanic forces and the evil of the world. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, the existing universe has been uncreated, and it is now introduced in Revelation 21 and 22 as the new heaven and the new earth, where God will dwell with us. Verse 3 of 21 says that too. So when we see all of this suffering that happened all the way, from the fall of Genesis chapter 3, and we keep getting this question in Job and in Habakkuk and all the way through, why do the righteous suffer? When will justice be brought about? Well, we see it happening, okay? Jesus will take care of this. The final battle is going to be in Revelation chapter 19, and you're going to see this, for example, in uh, chapter one, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with fear. There will then be a millennial reign, and that's going to be found in Revelation chapter 20. You see this in verse 2. It says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And then after the recreation of the world, uh, chapter 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was gone as well. And the holy city, verse 2, is brought down there. We see all that. That gives you a, a, an overall idea of what this is all about. And we're going into, once again, addressing the particular churches uh, of this. And so this is very, very important for us to see that background. And now, as I show you this, uh, this message to this next church they're involved in what you might be called antinomianism. And that's going to say this. They don't care about the law. It's all love. It's all acceptance. It's all tolerance. And there is no stand against sin. If you get that idea, we started off the talk about uh, Thyatira in there and the warning. So let me read the passage again and let's go back through uh, what's happening and look at the second part of this. This is the longest uh, an address to any of the churches, and Thyatira is the smallest of the churches. Very big in trade, that town was very big in trade and industry, but it wasn't a significant city. And this is being written to those churches that would follow the, the, the way of Thyatira. Now we start in verse 18. Write to the church to the messenger, the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame, and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. 
I know that your last works are greater than the first. See, it's all commendation so far. Now we go. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants, to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Now behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of their works, I will strike her children, her followers, dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I'm not putting any burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them. With an iron scepter, he will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anybody who hears to ears to hear, who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. What a magnificent message. It's got so much here, we had to split it into two parts. And into Thyatira, we now look and we're seeing the judgment part. We saw the commendations, first of all. And when we looked at those, we saw, first of all, that, you know, the, the works were improving. The faith uh, example to the, the, the community was improving. They were getting better and better. But there was also a judgment here. There's someone by the name of Jezebel in here. Now, is that her literal name? No. No, that's not. This is used as an example of the wicked queen that we read in the Old Testament who was uh, just a horrible, horrible example. And I don't have time to go into it right now. But if you read about that, you read about Jezebel and her, the judgment on her, and known down through the ages, it's like if you would call somebody a, uh, their, their works akin to Hitler or Stalin or something. Everybody gets the idea. That's not their literal name, but everybody has the, the sure idea of what you're talking about. So somebody here, a female leader in this church, is allowing other god worship to come in, much the way Jezebel had in the Old Testament, and so this one is called by that, all right? Now, so what we say here is we're going to take a look at this and see what the judgment is, all right? So we go in here, and it says that I have a few things against you. Despite all of this, these things have taken root in the church, and it needs to be judged here, too. I have a few things against you. What was that? Well, first of all, you have this one that we are going to call a, a self-styled prophetess. She's come along and she says that, uh, much like Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16, you'll read about her continuing in 2 Kings chapter 9, the old Jezebel. This one here is saying that uh, what, we're, what we're doing is you can have a freedom in your worship. This is saying this. She calls herself a prophetess, but we don't see that as that. All right. This is a warning. You have acted as if she is a prophetess for your church. You know, sometimes we'll have somebody that is a self-styled leader, calls themselves on social media or in personal appearance. They'll tend to inflate themselves, and we'll find out later on that this was all a con game within the religious circles to get money and things. And it, 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 we call them self-styled evangelism, self-styled pastor, and one that went under a grand court case of, of, of just 
millions of dollars, millions of dollars embezzled, had called himself an apostle, and I followed the trial uh, and, and saw with a, a great interest this one who called himself an apostle, that he was above worrying about uh, expenditure uh, accountability and spending untold amounts on himself. Well, that's this, so, so-called, all right? And the people that were giving him money were feeling him that way. That's with the cult leader Miranda uh, of years back who called himself both Christ and Antichrist. And people would dump rolls of $100 bills into his plate, give, them, give him credit cards, Rolex watches. Uh, many of you saw the documentaries about that. They would give him the keys of their car, the deeds to their house. Down in Orlando area here and in South America, he was even more popular. Well, he was a self-styled coming, a, a messiah. You have great danger when people would treat them like that too. Now, we're warned about that. Jesus said there will be false prophets that will come. Matthew chapter 24 tells us about that. Well, what happens here? This one says, above all the other things that she is promoting, she is promoting sexual immorality. I don't want to say this word sexual freedom because people will say, oh, well, you know, we love that word freedom. Let's talk about, let's call it what it is. Sexual immorality under the guise of this is free. We shouldn't restrict anybody. And this had an, uh, an influence on others on here. And what happened to uh, this as well is there's a tie. As I talked about in our last study, that uh, Thyatira had a number of trade unions. They called them guilds. But they did something unusual in those days. You had a patron god of your guild. Let's say it was like of pottery or silversmithing. You had to have uh, an allegiance to the god of that one, or they wouldn't let you in in the business. So you had a mixture of business and, and religion in here. And that's where we believe that this was talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, when they came in there, there was probably something where they would bring them in and have them eat on particular things and be involved in all the pagan worship and follow that as well. All right. Now, when it says this, these are the followers of Jesus, the servants of Jesus, a very strong word, bond servants, and saying this, we are no longer slaves to sin, Lord. We are slaves to you. That's what we want to liken themselves. And remember the prodigal son, the father says, but I treat you as family. But the prodigal son says, I understand the meekness and the humbleness by which I come. And that's what they're doing. These wonderful servants of the Lord. And what happens now? They are being deceived in this. Now, in this, we see that uh, this is all coming out and being a confusing thing here as well. I gave her time to repent. She didn't repent. What happened was God's grace was available. The mercy of God was available. She had a time to come to herself, understand where she was taking this congregation. I gave her a space of repentance, and that's the wonderful thing, and I thank God giving me the space of repentance in my early years. I was a lawbreaker before I came to Christ at the age of 17, and he was merciful in there, but I do recall sitting there and realizing where my life was going and where it could go away from all of this judgment and pain and hurt. And she was given this time, but she decided that she didn't want this. The Holy Spirit was calling her, wooing her. Uh, today was the day of salvation, so to speak, in her heart, and she rejected that. So when you see this, this is the mercy of God. You are given time to repent. But when she didn't, we remember that God is a just God. 
And be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. And so in that time of harvest, when she could have repented and gone to something in a totally new way, and many did, Paul was going down the road of slaughtering Christians and came in his space of repentance. He made a change too, but she did not. Now, on this, what happens is this church that showed all of this in the outside, faith and love, and is growing more and more. There was a, corrupt, there was a root of evil in there that was uh, changing everything. A real estate agent came over and told me a story as he was looking at our house because we had a clogged drain. He had a particular tree which through the years, the root went up into the vertical spout of the drain spout and actually grew up into there and was clogging it because that root had gone up and stopped any flow. And he used it, he told me, Christian man by the name of Mark, used it as an illustration for his grandson and said, I want you to understand this. This is like the root of bitterness in people's life. They allow it where the free flow of God's blessing can go. It gets clogged up because it, this has, the, the root has entered into their life. And I think about that here. It's a wonderful illustration he gave to me to see that because this is what's happened here. Inside the church, we have a problem. Outside, everybody says, boy, they got it together. Remember Enron? Many of you remember Enron in Texas. And everybody said, this is the most powerful company in America. On the outside, it looks great. What was going on the inside? Nothing but corruption. And people still in jail because of that too. Now, what happens is, the influence of Jezebel carried throughout here as well. So what happens? I will cast her into a sick bed. Isn't that interesting? A sick bed. What you must do, Jesus saying, I'm going to take care of this one. And she is going to be thrown in there. And when it talks about this, you're going to see, this talks about an adultery that is so deep, it permeates both the sexual and the spiritual, and the physical, no doubt, and the mental. It carries all the way there. And what happened is there were those that were following, hence the problem here. So it says this, I will cast her into the sickbed and those who commit this adulterous relationship with her. All right. And so it's this, when we say this, you could say when someone is away from the Lord, who knew the blessing of the Lord and walked away. It's like they're sickened. They could be so vi- they could have so much vitality in the Lord. They could have so much honor in the Lord, so much grace in the Lord, and yet they're brought down in sickness. Now, this could also mean that this is uh, this is what it's going to happen to her: physical sickness, it's going to cast her into a sick bed. Now, we we know. Remember this in the uh, the teaching about the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there were those that abused and showed mockery to the communion, the remembrance of Christ on the cross. And Paul explicitly says, that's why some of you sleep, and that's a euphemism for die. That's why some of you were taken. That's why God had taken the life of some of you, because of that. And we're seeing this here. Unless you turn away, repentance is a 180 degree turn. I always tell people, if you want to make it mathematical, Repentance is a 180-degree turn. Unless you do a 180-degree turn, you repent of your deeds, then you're going to have this coming upon you too. And all the churches, why? You're an example. Your repentance will affect other people. And Christian, I want to tell you this. When you make a change from bitterness, 
from anger, uh, from a caustic attitude, or a cheating way, and people will see your change in falling, just as they saw your change when you came to Christ. If you have the root of bitterness or a way that you know is not honoring to Christ, and when you make a change, it will affect others, just like it says here. All the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Now, that's interesting here, because the minds and the hearts, this is an interesting thing, because the, the Jewish people of those days felt that your mind really, you, you, well, your heart was really where you had your, it's kind of the function in society, the intellectual, the social, the day-by-day logical walk through life. That was your heart. See, in the Western Hemisphere, we'll say the heart is the place of romance, and the mind, the brain, is the place of intellect. Well, the Jews didn't say that. They said the heart was the place of the functioning. And then, well, now, if you want to know where the emotion was, this seems strange to us, but, you know, this is what they they felt, was the kidneys were the place of emotion. So this actually says, in the hearts and the kidneys, well, what it's saying is, really, the logic and the emotion of this. And what you're going to do, I search both your emotional walk and your intellectual walk, your spiritual walk, your social walk, your physical walk. I search all of those things. And what will happen was, if you do not, as an example to everybody, there will be a judgment on you so that all churches around will see the warning and understand, I am the just judge, I am the just God, I do justice. I will kill her children and it's one verse, one translation says affliction or pestilence, but it literally is. It's a, it's a repetitive. It almost sounds redundant. I will kill them with death. I guess you're not going to have a problem if you understand you're going to be killed with death. And that's what it literally says. Their children, her followers, will be put to death. So hold fast to what I have here. Hold fast till I come. This is what somebody had asked me earlier in another class. What does the word overcomer mean? You keep using the term in the scriptures the overcome. Well, it means this, holding fast, holding fast to the faith here. And it says, right following in verse 26, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, I will give him power over the nations. So when we have this, you stay till the very end. I will give power over the nations. God promised that, remember this in Luke chapter 19, that there will be honor For the honor to Jesus on earth will be honor given by Jesus in heaven, Luke 19. And then it says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5 that we will not only see God face to face, we will reign with him. Well, that's what it's talking about here. Overcoming all of these things. You will have a rule with a rod of iron where we see that Jesus will dash them to pieces. You know, how much resistance is a clay pot going to be given to a rod of iron? Christ will smash the opposition. And I'd like to be on the right side of that just warrior called Jesus Christ here too. And so when he leads them, now I find this wonderful. Jesus offered them the reward of the morning star. The morning star, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16 tells us that. Revelation 22 and 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to attest to these things because I am the root and descendant of David, 
the bright morning star. So what he's saying is, I will give myself to you. You have given yourself to me. As I've told you before, you give your life here to Jesus on earth. He gives you his life in heaven. His is the eternal one. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is for everybody. You don't have to be just in Thyatira to hear this. You stay away from those that will tickle your ears with novels and anecdotal devotionals that will pull you away. And we've seen many of those in these days. Leaders that aspire to be celebrities or booksellers. And there are Christians that will follow that at the expense of reading the truth of the Bible. I hope that's not you. I pray that I don't fall into that, that we stay as close to the Scripture as possible. Let's take this lesson from Thyatira as we continue on in our walk through Revelation. And thank you so much for following this. This is an important uh, teaching here. And I don't uh, make any appeal on TikTok uh, because I feel that this is something, an outreach that I want to bring to people. But if you should feel that you could help out our ministry, Zulon.org is the place to go. There is a place where you might be able to give. Any, any little gift would help us as we are reaching. I have students in Tanzania as well as Virginia in the United States. I am outreaching into places in Pensacola as well as in India. And uh, we have expenses. And if you see your way to go over to Zulon, X-U-L-O-N.org, we do have a place where you can donate. We are a 501c3. And we hope that that uh, might be something you consider to help us in our ministry of reaching and teaching Bible leaders and through these different ministries. Listen, this is Brad here. I thank you so much for your listening and learning. And God bless you. Let's continue our talk in Revelation. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N dot org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.